Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers who enjoy discussing movies and related media. And for tonight's podcast, uh, we are delighted to welcome back on the podcast, all the way from the US, we have filmmaker and podcast friend, Charles DeLorzerica. So welcome, Charles. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really glad we could talk about this because I feel like in the past I've always had to struggle and be uh, political and how I, I speak about certain things because I'm somehow connected to them. But this one, I'm it's all it's nothing but but love and then later honesty after we get out the first movie out of the way. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. that's, that's good to know. I mean, what, one of the things I love is often on this podcast, I tend to feel a bit self-indulgent because, you know, most of the time we talk about, uh, you know, movies that selfishly either myself or Simon want to discuss. Mm. And I absolutely love it when uh, we get a request, particularly if it's for something that I also love as well. So um, we're very pleased that you've asked to do this one to celebrate the 40th anniversary, which is a rather frightening fact, but the 40th anniversary of Superman the movie. So we're going to talk about that. And I guess, you know, it spawned, what, four sequels between, you know, Superman the movie was 78, and then we had four sequels up to 87. And then we had a sequel of sorts in 2006 before they decided to sort of reboot the entire thing. So, um, yeah, so it's exciting. I, I love Superman the movie. Um, I'll, I'll no doubt talk loads about why, but first of all, Charles, I want to give you the opportunity to, uh, to kick things off with this, please. Well, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, when I grew up, I mean, like a lot of kids, I, I read comic books like crazy. I devoured them. And and this is actually before, you know, we've talked many times before about how Star Wars was kind of a, a huge explosion on the pop culture landscape that changed all of our young little minds. Um, but before that, there were comic books. And and I didn't really care much whether it was Marvel or DC or whatever. I just devoured comic books. And I loved all these characters. And I certainly loved Superman quite a bit. So when they... When, when as a kid, you know, it's not like I paid attention to the trades and it was pre-internet. So it was like, I didn't know things were coming in advance, but you know, you start to see the posters around town of like this dramatic sky and this red, yellow and blue swoosh going you know, through the clouds and this kind of crystalline Superman S and you start thinking, you know, what is that? And, our, and it already seems so far beyond the comic book. It seems like it's something almost like a, a religious experience. It's so big and huge and, and up in the air, you know, just, just this thing as a kid, I just, uh, was mesmerized by from the very beginning of the, of the first imagery that came out. So, um, eventually I, I, I saw it opening weekend, um, uh, at the, uh, it was the UA Warner center six in, in Woodland Hills, California is where I saw it. Um, my, my dad took me and, um, you know, from the from the very beginning of the film, when it when it starts with the the kind of the old uh, newsreel introduction, which kind of presents it almost like in this real but alternate history of ours. Uh, so already it's saying this is not just a comic book; this is something more than that. And then with those just dazzling uh, opening credits and the John Williams theme is just bigger than life. And you know, as I was, I think I was like eleven when I saw it. Um, everything just seems so big and like 
there's like this whole new universe is opening up for me when I when I watched it. But ultimately, what I really loved about the film, I mean, beyond the, the basic story and the characters were, were delightful and I really enjoyed the movie part of it. But I also loved the, the morality of it. I, you know, I, I more than any sort of like morality tale or religious upbringing or anything I ever experienced, Superman, the movie really uh, conveyed some strong messages uh, to me about being a good person. And that came early in the film or, you know, within the first hour when um, Jor-El is uh, sort of downloading Kal-El on, on everything, you know, in the Fortress of Solitude. And he says, they're good people, Kal-El. They wish to be. They only like the light to show the way. And as a little kid, that blew my mind because it was sort of like it just summed up the world so well that people are inherently good. We just we just screw up a lot, you know, and we need, <laughs> we, need a, we need a bit of guidance now and then. And and that plus the fact that Christopher Reeve, who was just, you know, an amazing, like born to play Superman, um, he had such joy uh, and and such a smile and twinkle in his eye every time he performed acts of heroism in the film. Unlike many of the other actors who have played Superman since, I mean, he really seemed to thrill and enjoy uh, saving people and helping people. And that was a different thing because then later you get with Batman and other, other darker characters and even some of the Superman iterations we've seen, uh, they're not enjoying it. You know, they they have like the weight of the world on their shoulders. They're like a kind of a quasi God and, and they feel very, you know, like, uh, they just have so much weight to carry. And Christopher Reeve Superman was just so, uh, just playful and fun and he loved it. And, and you could just see the joy in his face when he saved the president's airplane or he saved the cat in the tree. It didn't matter. He he was so happy to be a good person. And that, at 11 years old, was pretty powerful to see. And I think it it really helped me a bit, uh, you know, try to be a better person and try to enjoy being, you know, a good person and, and doing good for other people in, in my own tiny little, you know, real human way. But the film was a great inspiration in that regard. Amazing. Yeah, no, it's, I, I'm, I'm smiling here on the... Uh... Uh, I know you can't see me, but I'm smiling away at <laughs> at what you've just said there because, um, yeah, it's a very uh, very special film for me. Also, what about you, Simon? What was your um, introduction into uh, you know this film? Well, uh, as I'm the youngest one here, um, I was actually the first one I saw was Superman Two at the cinema, and I right. I remember it very well that um, my aunt. Uh, took me to see it at my local cinema down in Ealing and um, I remember absolutely loving it but then I saw Superman the movie on video and so I didn't quite have the full uh, cinema experience but I love both films I, I've you know I've watched them many times over the years and of course when I was a kid at school we'd play Superman and we'd you know you know when we were playing we would do the Superman tune that great John Williams uh, theme tune. And so, yeah, sort of kind of, you know, just growing up with it, you know. And funny enough, I didn't see the third one at the cinema. I did see the fourth one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and as a kid, I loved it. I must admit, I had a good time. Uh, but, you know, I with time and experience going back and revisiting it, you can really see the the seams on it um but i guess we'll, we'll get into that a bit more we will yeah but with charles points about you know christopher reeve 
you know, actually he, he enjoying being Superman. You know, you you can tell there's you know a real joy there. The other thing I love about the original Superman is the fact that the um, reactions he gets from other people, because you get the reactions. You know, mm-hmm. so when he saves somebody, you know, the, the whole bit with when he saves Air Force One and you see the pilots and one of them's going, what's happened? What's happened? And the other guy turns around and he goes, don't look, just fly. <laughs> I, I can't say what it is, but just fly. And then you just see the pair, the, the two pilots on the left hand side look back again, just like they can't believe that there's this got this man flying, you know alongside them, you know, propping up the wing. Yeah. But the thing I love about Superman is you, you get the whole world building. I mean, it's nearly an hour before we see Superman. And that bit when he, he saves Lois Lane is great, you know. And it, it, it gives me goops. This film gives me goosebumps. Yeah. There's several, several scenes that gives me goosebumps. But the, it's just amazing how well the the helicopter crash scene holds up still to this day. If I can jump in for one second, because I, that was a huge moment as well. And I was lucky enough when I saw it the first time, and I saw it on a big screen in 70 millimeter. So that, with, an, with a completely unaware, you know, virgin audience, uh, to see that scene in particular, I mean, the whole film, you could tell people were into it and they, they loved it. But that first sort of like, explosion of, of of heroism between the music and the the spectacle and the cheering of the crowds on the street of metropolis like that it was like it was just so much like joy and relief because not only did superman save lois but it proved the filmmakers indeed could make you believe a man could fly yeah it lived up to the slogan <laughs> yeah. and and that's the thing is like even today you can look back in the film and say, well, it's a little creaky. It's, you know, 70s technology. I don't care. It's like you see that with an audience. And, I, and I've seen Superman with an audience in the last few years. And they still go bananas during that scene hmm. because it's so well constructed. And, and there, is, there are stakes. There are people you already care about. Uh, it's, it's just so well handled. And then, again, it's the joy of it. It's like Superman is thrilled to, like, save Lois. The people in the street, they don't know what they just saw. They just saw this weird thing just happen, and they're cheering. And and the people in the theater, were they just went nuts. It was so much fun. That just And that set the template for the whole rest of the film, because another thing you have to remember is visual effects were still kind of in their infancy in terms of modern post-Star Wars visual effects. And people were still in awe of these types of things. Now I feel like everyone's blasé about it. Like, yeah, it's computers. It's a bunch of guys you know, at workstations just cranking this stuff out. Back then, it was like literally magic happening before your eyes. So the entire spectacle back in 1978 was, I mean, it was amazing. And I can't stress that enough. And I feel sorry that you didn't get to see uh, the, the first film on the big screen. Um, but you, you get it. I know you do. I mean, 78, I was like two. So <laughs> I mean, no, saying that, I did see, I, I must have saw Star Wars uh, for the first time around that point because that was the first film I ever saw at the cinema. So, I, I mean, I feel, I must admit, I feel really blessed as a child that I got to see these sort of, these great films, you know, these turning point films because there was nothing like them before this really. You know, I mean, 2001 aside, you know, that was like the golden age of special effects and I grew up in that. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's amazing to think that that was kind of my era. But, 
But yeah. I mean, the fact that also, in, I think in any other film, the, the saving Lois Lane scene, would that have been it? You wouldn't have seen, you wouldn't have had the whole, uh, what's lovely referred to in the end credits as Superman's first night out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you see him do the whole thing. You see him save the cat from the tree. You see him stop uh, multiple crimes. And you also see how uh, New Yorkers, oh, sorry, Metropolitans, sorry, not New Yorkers, um, you know, react to it. But it, this is this is the other thing I love about Superman is it's a very uh, New York film. In the same way that Ghostbusters is, it feels very much part of that city. You get the the feel, the you know, the people there. And uh, I think that's something that's lacking from a lot of other Superman films that have come. Yeah. Now, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, I echo both of you. I also feel very blessed to um, to have, if you like, grown up in that time. Um, because I, I don't know what happened... Uh, it's really weird that there's a period of time that's sort of compacted together for me. And I don't know, uh, it was when I was very young and I don't know whether this is because um, in terms of actual release dates and stuff, I think we used to get stuff maybe slightly later than than, than you guys did in the US. Um, I'm not too sure, but for me, the first there are four films that I remember are the first films I ever saw at the, at, at the cinema, okay? Um, my earliest memory of, of, of any uh, live-action stuff on television was um, episodes of The Six Million Dollar Man and The Incredible Hulk. Those are sort of things I remember very early on from the small screen, and that's obviously, you know, excluding anything that was sort of preschool and animated shows and all that sort of stuff. But the first movie I saw at the cinema was, was Star Wars. Um, and by that point, it was already episode four, A New Hope. So I, I, I don't know whether that means it was a re-release or what, but because um, I remember being, even as a kid, slightly confused by that at, at first. Um, but that was the first, there were four films. There was basically, my mum took me to see uh, Star Wars and Superman the movie. Um, as I said, I don't know whether those were in the same year or not, but, but those were the first two I saw on the big screen. And then my dad took me to see Star Trek, the motion picture and Flash Gordon. Okay. So those, those four films in particular, um, really, really stayed with me because they were what I did with my, my, they were cinema experiences that I did with, with my parents and, and obviously they blew me away and I guess were somewhat responsible for shaping my interest in, in, in how movies were made and, and wanting to get into movies. And then um, everything else, I either went with, you know, uh, friends and their parents or whatever, like certainly Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, E.T. I remember seeing with um, friends and their parents. So, so yeah, so Superman the movie was literally the, the second film that I ever saw on the big screen. And, um, you know, I was absolutely mesmerized. Um, I remember, it, I, I do remember sort of asking mum during the film, <laughs> you know, after about an hour had passed, you know, uh, where is Superman? <laughs> because obviously it does take a while and I, and I love that it takes a while uh, with my adult eyes. 
um, you know, for him to, uh, to, to, to appear. But, but when he does, when you finally see him, and like you said, he then has that first night out in Metropolis, as it were, um, and the whole helicopter scene that you've mentioned and all this, I was absolutely uh, enthralled. I, I still, in fact, I'm getting goosebumps as we speak about it because I remember this so vividly. It's funny, can't remember some of the stuff I did last week, but I remember stuff <laughs> when I was like, you know, a, a child. But, um, and, uh, y- you know, I was absolutely blown away by it. And I remember... One of the things, and one of my mum's comments, and I, and I wonder whether she said this because she wanted, um, you know, uh, to get home to do tea for dad or something because they were that generation. But um, I remember loving the sitting through the end credits because I just adored John Williams' score. And I probably didn't even realise at the time it was the same guy who did Star Wars, yeah. But uh, I remember loving that. And I remember seeing this, which mum thought was never-ending, Nothing compared to today, obviously, but um, credits list of, of, of people. And, you know, I, at the time, I had no idea what any of these people did. You know, it was only sort of in the following years that, that, I, that I would then go and study this stuff. And, and, and like you said, Charles, I mean, I think, you know, considering these effects were done essentially with harnesses and optical effects and... Uh, you, you know, early, early blue screen and green screen work and, and you know, uh, rear projection and all of that, all of that technology, um, which is very, you know, archaic by today's standards. But, you know, I really did believe a man could fly. And I recently watched, um, there's been a Blu-ray release of the um, uh, TV the extended version and uh, I recently watched it and uh, you know I don't know whether I'm just being biased because of nostalgia but to me it, it, it still holds up and looks fantastic so uh, so I'm with you guys 100% on this <laughs> but I mean when it comes to the flying um, Christopher Reeves just sells it the way he sort of extends his body or he stretches out when he lifts off I mean, all that stuff is is great. Notice the fact that not only is he constant, you know, when he flies, he does other things as well. Like he'll wave to people and do like the whole smiling thing. And it's just he, he sells it so well. I think if it been anybody else, I don't think it would have had the same effect. No, but uh, you know, it, it definitely uh, obviously had an impression on all of us and. Uh... I guess I'm sort of between you two in terms of uh, 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 of the age and whatever. But when when I when I saw it, I was um, absolutely, you know, blown away, mesmerized, inspired, and and you know the same sort of feeling as when I saw Star Wars. You know, it was it was just unbelievably good. Um, and it's again one of those films that I've owned on VHS and I've bought the DVD you know, 13-disc uh, All Singing or Dancing box set that was released, a, you know, a decade ago or whenever it was. And I've since bought it on Blu-ray, which had even more um, stuff. And then, of course, because they've finally now in the UK, they've they've released the, um, the third edit, if you like, of it. So you've got the theatrical, you've got the extended director's cut, and now you've got the, uh, the three-hour TV um, extended cut. 
you know, I got to see it with scenes that I'd never seen before, which was, which was incredible to see. So, um, and I know Charles, you said you've had that, that disc for some time, right? Yeah. Well, actually I, I had it on VHS. I, I still have them somewhere, but I, my parents taped it for me when it was on ABC that first time back in the seventies. Oh, wow. So it's like, so I, I've, I've always sort of had a special place in my heart for that version. But, um, I, I do remember when like very much like you watching the film and, uh, and, and the, the end credits going on and on forever, um, that, they were like, you know, they broke up the cast into like locations at some point. And there was one that said like golf course, I think. And it was like the president, the secret service or whatever. And like, that's nowhere in the film. I thought, why, why are they crediting actors who aren't in the film? And then of course we see the long version and there's like that brief little thing of the golf course. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of interesting stories about like, you know, deleted scenes and, 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 and certainly the, the unorthodox way the film was made, uh, shooting Superman one and two simultaneously, uh, and then the, the tension that Richard Donner had with the producers. So, you know, all of that kind of like creates a great behind the scenes mystique for the first two films. But to me, what I, what I find very interesting about Superman, the movie is the way, I mean, the way Richard Donner just not just brilliantly and, and technically directed the film, um, but how he tapped into so many different genres because it begins as kind of a science fiction epic. Then it becomes this down home slice of Americana then it becomes like, you know, it's almost like a new age meditation for a bit at the Fortress of Solitude. Then it goes into a 70s crime film in the big city and in Metropolis. Well, the, you know, the, the snub nose guns and the, and the car chases. Uh, then eventually that's like a romantic musical comedy in a way when the, the courtship of, of Superman and Lois. Then it becomes an Irwin Allen epic, like a disaster film. Um, it's amazing how many different self-contained genre sort of like vignettes there are in this epic film it's like it's like micro epics and a big mega epic and i i think as a kid that was another sort of reason to love it because it never stopped giving you new things to to enjoy no, ab ab absolutely it's it's definitely got all of those uh those different layers and um you know i guess i mean you know it this this was my introduction to superman really because I, I i may have had a couple of annuals um that they used to put out over here in the uk back then in the 70s but um I don't think I really, uh, really had much of the, the sort of comic book uh, literature at the time. And, um, you, you know, I guess in terms of what had been done previously, I mean, there was the, the, the sort of um, early, uh, you, you know, black and white Kirk Allen uh, film serial uh, Superman. And... There were obviously the Fleischer cartoons, the Fleischer animated um, Superman stories. And then, of course, I remember at the time the film came out, at the time Superman the movie was, was sort of um, uh, popular here in the UK, um, ITV on a Saturday morning started doing the reruns of the George Reeves um, Adventures of Superman television series they, they played the color ones so it was the latter seasons i guess and um you, you know I, I always you know nowadays the sort of world of tv and 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 cinema is sort of blended somewhat but i remember at the time you know particularly particularly noticing the uh the differences between um you know as a kid again kind of fascinated at not only the similarities, i.e. the characters and the costume and, you know, and all this, but also 
the, the differences in this, the fact that, um, you know, that the, the flying sequences, uh, he, he kind of flew with his arms pointing downwards like he was lying on something, you know, and it was quite, it was quite apparent. Um, and uh, obviously, I know this was made a number of years before the movie as well, which I, I didn't realize at the time. Um, but, but there was that. And then also the fact that um, the character of Clark Kent the, the mild-mannered, you know, reporter for the Daily Planet, in those was essentially, you know, Superman wear, out, out of his costume wearing a suit with some glasses on. And the thing that, you know, the stroke of genius, if you like, um, uh, that, that, that Christopher Reeve brought to the role uh, was the fact that, 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 you know, okay, everybody always jokes about Superman and the fact that a pair of glasses is a hard buy as a, as a disguise, as a secret identity. You know, it, it, why doesn't Lois and everybody realize who this is? And, you, you know, the, the, the sort of strike of genius that, that, that he did was, you know, by changing not only his voice, but his, his, his body language. You know, he actually stooped so he was shorter and he, he sort of took that book out of the, uh, the sort of Cary Grant, you know, uh, uh, bringing up baby, um, you, you know, type performance and, and just, just made it a totally different character. And, and that's what I love, because even the stuff that followed, like, um, you know, in the 90s, because I'm a fan of Superman, I, I watched the, uh, the, the, the Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, where they kind of... Uh, sort of taken, if you like, the characters and the sort of uh, basic story and they'd sort of taken that premise and they'd put it into a sort of contemporary romantic comedy type setting. But even in that, Dean Cain was just, you know, a cool dude with, with glasses on when he was Clark Kent, you know, and, and, and you just didn't sort of buy that they were two different people. So, I mean, that, that, that was the thing I think is really special. Um, with, with what Christopher Reeve brought to the role, apart from looking like he was literally torn from a page of the comic books at the time, you know, and having not only him, his physical appearance, but, you know, the hair, the wardrobe, the costume, you know, all of that stuff done really well. But he just brought it to life by, by ma making these choices on, and working with Richard Donner, I guess, on how he was going to, how he was going to play the character and i just still to this day think that that's that's really really well done although you know i've heard people say it's a little bit over the top and a bit corny but i kind of love it and i think that's the nostalgia factor perhaps you know what do you think yeah um i i, I agree and, and i i think a little bit of corn and a little bit of cheese is a delicious, delicious part of any meal uh, to be honest it's <laughs> it's fine um it's uh, it's that part of that is that creates the charm of the film and the character, you know, and I, and I think that um, the way Christopher Reeve played it uh, as a friend, right? Like he says it with those piercing blue eyes to Lois on the on the rooftop of the Daily Planet when she says, you know, who are you? And he says, a friend. That was like the the most sacred bond I think an, an actor slash character could make with the audience uh, in a film like this, you know, because he sold it. And you believed it, and he was always your friend. Even in bad movies, he was still your friend. You know, so um, I um, I think Christopher Reeve is is will always be the the Superman 
certainly for me and my generation. But I think going forward, it, even someone like, look, I think Henry Cavill is a fantastic Superman. I think, I mean, jumping ahead, I think he's been great. And then all the talk about him leaving the role, I, I actually feel is a, a shame because he brought he brought a, a same kind of like, um, I don't want to say innocence necessarily, but like just a, 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 a likable um, kind of upright and uh, heroic s- Superman, the likes we haven't really seen since Christopher Reeve, um, because I think every every other one has tried to make him cool, and Superman's not cool. He should mm-hmm. never be cool. You know that's why they call him the, the the big blue Boy Scout, right? So he's not meant to be. You know, like you want the Beatles, you don't want the Rolling Stones or the Who. You know, it's like you want the original. You know, uh, the the wholesome hero here. So I feel like. Um, I, I, moving forward, who knows what direction Superman will go in, but I, I do think that original kind of innocent friendship we had with Christopher Reeve Superman has been always sort of like uh, the thing that kept those movies alive, even when they weren't that great, Some, you know, with the sequels. Um, but, uh, you know, and even in the sequels, it's like in Superman 2, which is largely made up of footage from the, the Superman 1 shoot. You can you can tell like he is a one kind of thing keeping it all together because the second film, in my opinion, even though it's very entertaining, it's also pretty messy, mm. you know, because it was two different directors kind of working at odds in post with you know Donner's original footage and then Richard Lester's kind of reshot footage. Um, that film is nowhere near as clean and elegant as the first film. It's very entertaining, but Christopher Reeve again is the one who keeps it all together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting the whole thing because obviously, you know. I've I've studied the films and 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 you know know this obviously the the history and the story behind it and uh, you know I've even got the the Donner cut of the movie and all of this sort of thing and loved it when that came out but um, you know I have to say as as a kid as a child not knowing any of that stuff when Superman two came out um, I was as entertained by that as the original. In fact, in some respects, it might, might sort of seem sacrilege now a little bit, but um, because because of all the setup that we'd had in the first film, um, I did kind of always like the way with Superman 2, you, you know, we, we, we just kind of got on with it and, uh, you know, we had the bad guys who had the same abilities and and all of that stuff. And, and, and yes, there was a lot of... Um, you know, Richard Lester put his stamp on it, you know, look, looking at it now, understanding his type of films compared to Richard Donner's films. And you can kind of see, you know, a certain sort of disjointedness in tone or whatever with that. But, you know, the the, the Eiffel Tower bit, I actually quite, always quite enjoyed that, the whole hydrogen bomb. You, you know, that, that, that seemed very comic book, you know, that had the sort of over-the-topness of... Um, of a sort of comic adventure and um you know i always kind of uh i always kind of enjoyed um that uh that that part of the film which was obviously not donna's part that was that was very much richard lester's stuff um and and i sort of thought it works and 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 the you know the only problem with the donna cut you know which which was lovely to see was the fact that obviously you've got the the kind of audition footage in there because they hadn't shot that scene so it's the only way they could make it work and then of course you've got superman you know spinning the earth round on its axis like 
sort of twice now if you watch it with the first movie and it's kind of like oh well he's just going to save any 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 problem now by turning turning the world back you know on on its axis and i know obviously that was never the original intention but that's how it's it's come out because of those um because of those changes but uh but yeah i mean i you know i i always thought superman's one and two were great um i thought it was you know by the time you got to the the next two movies the, the the problems started as far as i was concerned you know when i watched it way back when um what what about you guys do you feel the same well i just want to sort of briefly sort of say about superman 2 just before we move on um having as as a kid i too loved it um i didn't notice the sort of the seams as it were because you know it was it, this sort of epic battle between uh, Zod and Superman so you you know you had one Superman against three and it was you know a great concept and you know it, it played rather well having gone back and watched it recently it's it's not aged very well and mm-hmm. it's but it still has this interesting concept in the middle of it and that is of of Superman giving up being Superman for Lois, you know, just becoming human, becoming Clark Kent. And I found that really fascinating. The The stuff with Zod um, is enjoyable, even though it's, it is kind of funny now because you think of all the memes and uh, sort of robot chicken jokes that are made out of, of Neil before Zod. New because he you know says it so it's much. It's camp, isn't it? It's, yeah, <laughs> yes. But I mean, giving them the due as uh, as uh, a team of three, they work really well. I think none. I mean, when they did Man of Steel and they kind of they brought Zod back and they brought Ursula back and and Nom, they didn't do it so well because Ursula and Nom were put into the background really. I think they only had one scene well in superman 2 and in superman as well at the beginning they're in every scene they they are they work as a team you can see that they are this sort of evil trio which as i say they don't replicate in in other films so well um mm. so that that's always i found enjoyable i mean that you know, that's the fact where he goes back to the diner where he got beat up by the trucker. <laughs> so he can, you know, sort of have a little bit of payback. I, I always think he's it's been great. working out. He'd be working out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what about you, Charles? I mean, do, do you have sort of strong feet? I know, I know you really want to talk about the first movie and I, and I get that. But do, do you have strong feelings about Superman 2? I do. Um and and you know it's like I, I I here's the thing I think the idea of Superman two is really really strong I mean I remember as, again as a kid being in the movie theater and seeing the teaser poster for Superman two which was just the three Kryptonians kind of on this like metal landscape and then like some kind of planet behind them it had like nothing to do with the film but it was beautiful and I thought oh man these guys are coming back which by the way that's how you do a really great setup for sequels because I nowadays it's always like a post credits sequence and you tease who the next <laughs> Villain's gonna be and and yeah. Superman the movie did it right in the very first scene, which is brilliant. You know, I, I went into Superman two with with the highest of hopes. I mean, it was, it was 
you know, in the summer of 81. By the way, you guys got Superman 2 several months before we did in the States, which was really? interesting. Oh, okay. I thought we were always the other way around. Well, then, usually, but... usually you were, but yeah. it's like that was like that was a tough one because you know I was reading Starlog magazine and seeing articles and reviews about Superman two in the UK, and uh, we we had to wait like six or seven months uh, for it to come out here. Oh my um, god! All the millennials are going. Hold on a second. You didn't get simultaneous release, yeah. and and you mean it wasn't on home media in three months? What? <laughs> <laughs> bootlegged uh, online within 12 <laughs> hours of the internet. Exactly. <laughs> so, but, so I went into it with, with the highest of hopes and in the summer of 81, you know, there was this other film that came out. Well, there's a few films that came out um, like Fear Eyes Only, which is my favorite Roger Moore Bond film. I mean, there's like, there's other, there are other movies that summer that I was excited about, but the one that I think caught everyone off guard for a little side here was, was Raiders, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, and oh, that, yeah. That was like that came out of nowhere, and that completely changed my world that summer. So I go into Superman two, expecting it to be the greatness of the first, but times three because now we have like the Kryptonians, right? And it's going to be this big, big battle, and the trailer was was fun, and you know, non getting thrown into a Coca Cola sign and all that, all yes. this big spectacle was great. Um, and just from from the very beginning, I knew something was wrong. I just knew something was off. It felt cheaper. Like there was that terrible blue screen shot of the Kryptonian security guard. Yes. Uh, just just yeah. standing around as Non kind of just like sneaks up behind him and snaps his neck. I mean, it was so poorly done, you know. Um, and it just felt cheap. And then, and then they rehashed the entire film in the opening credits, which added probably five minutes to the movie, you know. So yeah, previously on Superman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes. But I get it because they were designed as kind of bookends, those two films to each other. And and in a perfect world, I still think there's some industrious fan out there who might be able to cut one and two together into a seamless experience, kind of like how they originally imagined it, I think. Um, you'd have to do some you know visual effects tweaks. But I, I think the Donner cut of Superman 2 is, it's a, I mean, it's a very interesting artifact, but it's kind of gl- just a glorified deleted scene. It's not really a movie. Um, but I do think the elements are there to make a much more interesting experience for the, the first two films together. Um, but I, I just kind of went in with these high hopes and then immediately the, the seams and the scotch tape and the chewing gum and everything that was keeping Superman two together showed like really early on. Um, even Ken Thorne's score, which we have now since learned, he did an excellent job of re- reworking John Williams's music. But at the time, the mix was so flat and tinny. It sounded like he was conducting a high high school orchestra. You know, it was just so like not. Yeah. It, it felt cheap. And now, since then, it's been beautifully remixed. And now you you get the full sense of what it should have been. Yeah, I was always bothered by that when I was younger and didn't realize why until I was older. You know, um, I, I thought the music's the same, but it doesn't sound quite as good. And uh, you, you know, obviously. Um, you, you know, well, we, we, we know they couldn't afford, you know, Williams, basically. So they got Ken Thorne and, uh, you know, he did a good job. Uh, and, and at least he used those original themes, which which was fantastic. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. But I'd, I'd love to see a super edit, actually. I mean, thinking about it, you know, I was worried with this TV cut that it was going to be... Um, you know, it wasn't going to be widescreen and it wasn't going to be properly remastered and all of this sort of thing. And it was a labor of love for whoever did it because it it, it is seamless and it looks fantastic. Mm. And of course, it uses the entire John Williams score from the um, from the soundtrack. 
you know, every music cue. So it's, it's, it's fabulous from that point of view, you know? <laughs> uh, no, totally. Um, and, and, and another um, kind of like uh, problem I had with the film where, where the, the visual effects were just not up to snuff with the first one because, and again, it, it's sort of early in the film, I think, when, um, when the Kryptonians have landed on planet Houston and, uh, they, <laughs> they, and, and, the, and the, the U.S. military guys come out with the flamethrower and it looked like a Warner Brothers cartoon. I mean, that, that animated flame oh, was yeah. so bad. But then you think, yeah, well, yeah. how could they have, back then, how could they have safely, I guess, you know, shot fire at a at an actor or even a stunt person, and then somehow you know wind that back uh, because of super you know breath or whatever. And it's like, yeah, they, they were technically limited, but I, I I wish there was a better way for them to have done it than just done like cell animation, you know, or or that that super ridiculous new uh, superpower when they're in the fortress of solitude at the end and Superman throws that that cellophane s off of his chest <laughs> oh that was ridiculous wasn't it i was like what the hell is yeah. that yeah, yeah. Even, even then as a kid when you're more forgiving i was like fuck this yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah. i and i did and i didn't like the sort of being able to teleport around you know that that power that they kind of yeah. created for that that uh that reaching and, and, and don't forget the force beam out their fingers yeah. as well yeah the, or the uh the amnesia kiss the amnesia kiss, yes. Oh, I was going to bring that yeah. up. Yeah, it's it's like watching it now. You think, bloody hell, uh, poor Lois Lane. Every time he kisses her, you know, she'll forget. Yeah. You know, what was I doing? Who are yeah. you? I mean, in in a perfect world, if we if uh, Richard Donner had, you know, been able to complete Superman two as planned, so that um, turning back the world would have, you know, erased all this uh, what had happened. Um, it I don't know quite. It, it works so well at the end of of Superman. I don't know if it's, it would have quite worked so well with the second one. I mean, he would have had to turn back. See, it, that's the thing. Is he turning back time or is he turning back the world? I never. It's wow. It's, it's a little bit unclear. It, I always think of it because because it is what the one part of the film that I mean. Okay. Suspension of disbelief. We've got a man from another planet mm-hmm. who can fly and do all these wonderful things, and is disguised with a pair of glasses. But um, uh, but 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 it's the one bit in the film that I've always kind of thought is a it is ridiculous and and does slightly pull me out of it. Is the is the you know because because my argument is well why doesn't he you know turn back the time for everything you know kind of thing and 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 I think mm. it was I look at it as a visual representation of him turning back time rather than him turning the earth round on its on its axis because that's just ridiculous but uh i don't know what do, what do you guys think <laughs> well i mean i mean the whole movie is uh the first film in particular is a romantic fantasy okay i mean it's basically yeah. clark and lois um and i feel like in turning the world back even if it makes no sense in terms of turning back time, he did it for love. He did it for love. He did it for Lois. Mm-hmm. You know, the yeah. second film, if they were to have used that same gag, uh, it would just be to save the world. And I say just because I mean, yeah, obviously that's the the, the greater uh, you know good. But mm-hmm. there's something just so beautiful and innocent and pure about it being for Lois. You know, just for Lois, like yeah. he's willing to sacrifice everything for her because that's how much he loves her. Whereas if he's saving the world ent- entire. It's because it's his job, you know. So, yes, um, 
so th- I think they just needed to come up with a better ending for Superman two. Um, if they were going to do like the supercut of t- the two films together, I yeah. think now it's 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 fine the way it is now. It's just it's just those stupid effects. I mean, I think the the actual like the switcheroo with with you know Superman being outside of the the protective chamber. I love and Tony. That. And, that's that's yeah, a great, that's, that that's works. a great twist. You know, that's yeah. really nicely handled. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, I think it comes down to with the end of Superman two with Lois is. Why is she so upset? I mean, that's the thing I, I still don't kind of get. She she gets upset that, you know, she's worried about him and, you know, she doesn't know what to, you know, uh, how to talk to him or, you know, when he's there. And it's just, it's a bit weird because in the comic books, Lois deals with the whole alter ego quite happily. So I, I never kind of understood the decision to make her so uh, wet. She's heartbroken, man. Yeah, and, and it's also she, and <laughs> yeah. she's just getting used to it because, I mean, this is the first time she's had to share him with the world. Exactly. That's mm. the thing. She, she wants, um, you know, she wants but, him I all mean, to herself. Like, you know. <laughs> and, and okay, taking the sort of she's heartbroken and, um, as you say, she, she wants Superman all to herself and uh, not share him with anybody else. But it was, it was kind of, weird decision then to you know do this uh kiss of amnesia you know to to make her forget just that (laughs) it was a bit it was a bit lazy wasn't it Mm. to be honest it was it was and i don't know whether you know looking outside of the film politically and stuff i don't know whether at that point um they already knew that if they did have a sequel that she wouldn't feature much in it because obviously she had fallen out with the producers as well because yeah. she had essentially taken uh, Richard Donner's side, um, if you like, over the the, the whole thing. But uh, so I, I don't know whether that was why they they kind of sort of rushed that in. I, I, I don't know. Don't know the story about that part. Charles, do you know any more on that? Um, not really. I mean, the only thing that I, I notice is, is, is it's very obvious when you look at Margot Kidder uh, in Superman 2, the footage, whether it was shot by Donner or Lester, because uh, in Donner's footage, for, for some reason, she just seems healthier and happier and mm. looks better. You know, she's you know stunning. And then in Lester's footage, she looks kind of like, I don't know, thin and tired and, and, and like her hair styling is really not so great. And uh, and it's, you can definitely tell it's almost like there's two different worlds of Lois clashing yeah. in in the cut. I mean, especially mm-hmm. if you look at the the scene when uh, when Zod and the others uh, crash into the the Daily Planet, and Ursa's uh, I can't remember if if she was involved in that bit, but anyway, you look at you look at Lois um, and her hairstyle changes from cut to cut, you know, um, and then and then yes, later when when Ursa is, is sort of choking Lois of the Force of Solitude, same thing. Like Margot Kidder is radically changes within like frames, you know, in terms of how mm-hmm. she looks. So um, there was obviously some behind the scenes, you know, issues going on, and and I don't know, I I personally think in many ways, uh, like like other films, like maybe say the Alien films or whatever, it's like one and two, I think are a really good like set. Uh, whether one is better than the other doesn't matter. It's like they are, they tell kind of a complete story. And then once you get into three, it's almost like they're trying to find excuses to make a movie. 
you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and, and I feel like three was definitely that when I remember seeing the trailer, actually I saw the poster first and it was, you know, that, that, uh, image of Superman holding Richard Pryor over like the grand Canyon or, or whatever it was. And, <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to do a comedy version now, I guess, of Superman, which is okay because the previous films had plenty of humor and comedy. Um, but now it was really steering hard into comedy, especially with Richard Lester now fully directing and, yeah. and he, and him being a really you know strong comedic director. Um, I, I just watched Superman three. Like I was just stunned by like how wrong it was on like almost yeah. every decision. You know, every yeah. decision that film was was really kind of strange and, and debatable. Um, I but agree. The, you know, but you know, the opening credits are, are kind of fun. You know, of like all like all those dis- like kind of mini disasters happening in the streets of Metropolis, and Superman has to kind of like deal with all these like little things. And, and there's a beautiful gag in there when. Um, he runs into the photo booth yes. to change Clark and Superman yeah. and the photos come out and he, <laughs> he, he rips it in half and gives the kid the Superman half. Like that's cute. Like that stuff yeah. is really fun. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all pure Richard Lester, that stuff, isn't yeah. it? And, and it works on that level, but it, it's, it's unfortunately for an entire movie. Um, yeah. I always had problems with, with the direction they went, but before we get too much into Superman three, just real quickly on this, um, you know, story of Superman 1 and 2. Um, obviously, it seems that the world we live in now, practically every, um, you know, major blockbuster film, you know, goes through this at the moment. We seem to be in a time where, um, y- y- you know, directors are coming in and replacing other directors through production on on pretty much every, you know, certainly franchise movie that's coming out. Um, but at the time... Am I right? I mean, I'm guessing this was sort of unprecedented at the time. Yeah, Not, nobody, you know, this was unique. This this hadn't really happened to this level um, before. Am I am I right, or am I missing some major classic film? I mean, that, I mean the, the Wizard of Oz had multiple. Oh, of course, yeah. Things, but, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also thinking Tora Tora Tora, where uh, Akira Kurosawa was replaced, but I don't think he had oh, really yeah. shot anything. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I, I'm aware that it's happened before during mm. pre-production and, and, it's, and it happened during post, you know, in, in finishing films sometimes. But, you know, in the middle of an actual major production. But then again, I guess not many films at that stage had been sort of shot back to back on this sort of, you know, um, epic style like they were doing with the, uh, the first two Superman movies, yeah. uh, I guess. But... Uh, well, I, I, I first know. I first heard about the the Donner version of Superman two in 1984, mm-hmm. which is only three years after the, the movie came out, and that was kind of unheard of back then for me as a fan because I didn't realize that, you know, I didn't as a, as a stupid naive kid I didn't realize oh you can fire directors and you can replace them and reshoot all their footage and re-edit everything, like mm-hmm. and now that's like that that's like you know three o'clock on a Tuesday now it's like it happens mm-hmm. all the time so yeah but um, I was. And again, this is before 9-11, but, you know, when I was a kid, you could sneak onto studio lots pretty easily. And I used to sneak on lots uh, quite a bit. And I snuck onto the, the Warner Brothers lot in 84 with some friends and basically just wanted to, like, check things out. And we kind of sniffed around where um, Goonies was shooting at the time. And uh, so I, we were hanging out by it was kind of like Richard Donner's office. And I think it was I think Amblin might have been there at the time. Um or Joel Silver, I can't remember. It was like this compound where all these like really kind of power producers were working. And this guy with long hair and a beard kind of catches us. He's like, what are you guys doing to me and my friends? 
And we kind of just copped to it and we said, oh, we're just, you know, we're just film students and we're just checking out, you know, the, the lot. And he sat us down and just started, you know, started talking to us, like asking us who we were and all that. Well, it turns out this was Michael Thaw, who was Richard Donner's assistant at the time, who went on to produce the Donner cut of, of Superman 2. Oh, wow. And he told us this story about Dick directing uh, Superman 2, which, again, blew our minds back then. And he told us about the scene where uh, the, the, the I think the probably more more clever version of Lois pointing a gun at Clark and saying, I'm so confident you're Superman. I'm willing to take your life. And, he, and she fires. <laughs> And he flinches and he says, how did you know? And she says, I didn't. These are blanks. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so we, we knew all that like in 84. So I, I never thought we'd ever get to see that footage. But um, ha but kind of carrying that notion for all those years, I, I was very happy and relieved to see they finally put it together, even though, I'm, you know, again, it's, it's a very cobbled together thing. Um, it was kind of fun to learn the the inner workings and how they kind of make the sausage on, on movies uh, at an early age. And like you could be replaced and you could be, yeah, yeah. you know. And, and I have to say, even though that is kind of the, you know, that, that sort of audition footage or whatever that they used, um, Margot Kidder has never looked better than she did in that. I, I just think that she looked better at that, um, you know, that test sheet thing that they did for that than, than in the actual movie, weirdly. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's to do with the towel or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, amazing. But um, what... I must admit, one of, one of the things, um, if you like, a little sort of story on my side about um, uh, the soul kinds um, was I used to, when, when I finished film school, um, I got an internship at Chapman Leonard Studios, um, but the, the, the one in, in Orlando, not, not the one in, the, in California. And um, I was working for an equipment rental house there called Vaughan, um, Vaughan Rental, and it was right next to Ilya Solkine's office, okay, and, uh, you know, I thought this was all very cool at the time, because, you know, there was loads of Superman logos, and there was this big, you know, cutout of uh, Christopher Reeve flying, you know, on, on the wall and everything, but um, I knew the, the, the guys who worked there quite well, and um, they, they took me in one day to show me um, Ilya's office, and, um, uh, it's quite. It was quite bizarre because I went in the office and, of course, it had all the Superman memorabilia, which, of course, was blowing my mind, all of that stuff. But what was really interesting was uh, his desk was on a platform, okay, so that when he'd sit in his chair behind his desk, he would look down on whoever was in the meeting with him. And because of all the stories I've heard on the various DVD commentaries and documentaries and stuff, I sort of, I sort of thought to myself, yeah, that, that kind of says a lot now, <laughs> you know. But, but I mean, also, of course, the reason we've got such a long TV version of this, you know, I learned is because, you know, obviously we had loads of TV, you know, extended TV versions of various movies that we that we liked at that time, you know, so it could feel like a, a, a two hour, you know, TV slot properly with, with commercial ads and all this. But with the Superman one, they did it over, if you mentioned ABC, um, Charles, they did it over like a two night uh, extravaganza thing, hence why there's so much extra in there. And apparently the, the, the reason being is back then, the networks would actually pay by the minute 
And <laughs> basically, they, they went and said, like, use everything we've got, literally pad it with everything we got. So, I mean, that's why we get, like, Jeff East walking to the North Pole for about, you know... <laughs> in real time. Ten, five minutes. Yeah. Or, yeah, in real time, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and all that. But, but at the same time, I, I, was, I was delighted to see all this extra stuff, you know. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've always been a massive fan of Richard Donner. I like loads of his movies. I love the Lethal Weapon series and all that, you know. And, um, you know, I love Superman the movie. So I've always kind of been sort of with him on this this whole sort of battle thing but uh i i don't know i guess there's always two sides to every story but uh and and you know the soul kinds have got to be given credit for actually you know making this project happen in the first place haven't they so you, you know not to take anything away from donna at all but um yeah you know i love the stuff he was doing much better than than what came afterwards but um but but then again you know they they were able to uh, they had that sort of successful model didn't they at the time they did um i i would, I would add though i think that uh, donner was i don't want to i don't want to like blanket and say every single director was like this but i feel like in the in the christopher reeve movies he was like the only one who truly loved and respected the character and 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 respected him in a way that you know it's not like you're beholden to comic book you know tropes or anything or you have to play superman a certain way he definitely was very i think uh, nimble in how he portrayed a, a, a then 1978 modern superman but um he definitely had respect for the character which i'm not sure was quite there in some of the later installments yeah he loved the old verisimilitude as he kept saying you know about the the, the world and and the fact that yes we've got these ridiculous things like um you know aliens with all these powers and all this sort of stuff but but you're right he absolutely tried to keep it grounded and respected the character and and you know made us believe in that world and that you know you know it was it was early world building wasn't it and um uh you, you know it, it, he he definitely he definitely did a wonderful job on that and i and i tend to agree with you that um you, you know richard lester uh did sort of approach it as we see as we're going now into Superman three, much more, you know, a comedy comic book aspect to it. And um, yeah, I'm not so sure it works so well. It's, it certainly didn't for me anyway. Though <laughs> mm. so I have to say that the one thing about Superman three I always like, and it, it could have been its own film, was I know what it is. Yeah, I know what yeah, you're going to say as yeah, well. Bad <laughs> Superman. Yay! Yes. Yeah. It's the only bit I like about the entire yeah. film. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. And the fight in the um, in in the junkyard yeah. is amazing. That image of Superman in, the, in a in a bar, uh, drinking whiskey, firing cocktail nuts into the mirror behind the uh, the bartender is is brilliant. Um, I, I love that bit. In fact, I, I the, the day after uh, Trump was elected president, I posted a photo of, of Superman taking a swig <laughs> off the bottle. And I said, current mood. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing yes. that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, that, that is the, for me, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I think Richard Pryor w w was incredibly funny. And, but, but that was, to me, that was a different movie. That mm. wasn't Superman. And the, the, the problem I, I had with, you know, all of that stuff was just like, um, you know, 
you, you suspend your disbelief with Superman and, and, and you know, in the previous film, um, Zod, Non, and Ursa and whatever, you, you know, having these powers and whatever. But then, you know, when you get Richard Pryor on in, in a pair of skis, you know, essentially fall off a skyscraper <laughs> yes. and, and land and he's fine, you know, stuff like that. I mean, even as a kid, I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. You know, I, I, I can't buy this at all. I'm totally out of this movie. And, um, you, know, you know, the one redeeming portion of the film was indeed the, the you know, the evil Superman and the, the fights, Superman v Superman and all that stuff was, was amazing. But, and, and, you know, it was all filmed in, a, in the UK, weirdly enough, in, in Milton Keynes or whatever. But, That's uh, right, yeah. But, um, but in a car park, you know. But, uh, um, but, but yeah, you know, it, 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 the rest of the film just, uh, it jumped the shark totally, you know, for me. I, I do love that in the junkyard scene, if you look carefully behind, uh, I, th- I, can't, I think it was Good Clark. If you, behind Good Clark is a, a Blade Runner poster up on the, uh, the side of the, of, the, of the wall behind him. And, and I always tell people Superman 3 conclusively proved that Blade Runner is only a movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I have to. I have to go back and try and see that now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, yeah I must admit, I, yeah. I've not. I've one and two. Well, particularly the first one, but one and two, um, I tend to watch. You know, fairly regularly, um, mm. and I've watched a lot over the years. Uh, three and four, less so. Um, I did see them both on the big screen, and I have watched them on home video and i've even listened to commentaries on on both of them but um yeah <laughs> uh not not a not a fan of those two those those weren't in my head canon at all for this uh, for this series you know well yeah. as terrible as four is i mean it has its heart in the right place i think it, it's it, it wants to be a much much better film than it, than it is and that's just because they got screwed on the money uh with mm-hmm. with, with canon um, but it does have, I think, one of the best scenes of all the Superman movies, which is his visit at the United Nations. Yes. Um, when he gives that speech about he's finally decided to, the, to rid the world of all nuclear weapons and the, and the way the music swells, and the audience cheers. I get I get the chills just talking about it. It's like then that's that's in a really bad, like D grade canon Superman movie. This one gem of a moment that's like one of the best of all the Superman movies. Yeah, no, I agree. Was, yeah. and, and if I'm right, that, that was. That was Christopher Reeves. I mean, Christopher Reeves was involved in the story and the plot and some of the writing. Yeah. And, uh, um, y- you know, uh, we, the late, great Christopher Reeves, which we all love, um, y- you know, uh, but I, I believe that that was, that was very much his contribution to it. But uh, obviously the production itself was, was plagued with... Um, you know, financial problems from the yes. group and, <laughs> and and masters of the universe being made with half the budget of it and all this sort of stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, this this is the thing. I mean, the the reason why Christopher Reeves came back to do Superman because um, I believe he wasn't too impressed with Superman three, and and who was, can blame him? <laughs> yeah, he was. He wanted to put up his uh, his uh, cow. You know, he wanted not to do it anymore, and his they, cape. Oh, sorry, yes. his cape. All right. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> when Cannon sort of said, "Well, you know, what do you want to do, Christopher?" and he told him the story. That's what brought him back. But they, they, they did promise a lot more money than they actually had, and yeah, this is this is sort of at the downfall of Cannon. 
Mm. Yeah. Oh God, it shows. I mean, th- this is the thing. Even though I totally agree with what you said, Charles, about this, I, I-, I think, I think in terms of the story, I much prefer Superman for the Quest for Peace than Superman Three. Um, however, in terms of quality of how it looks, um, you, you know, Superman Three still has that you know gloss that the first two films have, whereas. By the time you get to Superman 4, it does look like something that was filmed earlier because it, it just looks less sophisticated. And um, obviously, yes, the reasons why was, you know, there was a lot less money. There was a lot of money thrown into those first three films and a lot less money thrown into uh, in, in, into the fourth one. Um, and it suffers for it. And also, I mean, it, it is silly as well. I mean, some, some of the stuff, um, the, whole, the whole character of Nuclear Man... Um, well, no, actually, the, the, again, the bit that totally jumps the shark in, in the fourth film, which I, I feel even more strongly about than, than, than Richard Pryor falling off the, 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 the skyscraper in the third one in Surviving, is the fact that um, Muriel Hemingway's character, you know, she can survive on the moon in zero gravity with no <laughs> spacesuit. Apparently, that's fine. I mean, uh, you know, I can buy that Superman's cape glows in the wind even though there's no wind in space you know and that they can have a conversation when they're fighting and all that but the fact that they bring a human character onto the surface of the moon and she's fine i mean what i, I don't think that's true i think he just carried her out into space only that i don't think he took her to the moon <laughs> she, yes she was she was against a star field at some point without a spacesuit that is true yeah yeah <laughs> but but no but but it was just a uh, superman and nuclear man with his uh Fabulous gold uh, fingernails. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, they could have had a better villain, couldn't they? Let's be honest. With with, with all the Superman, um, you know, villains that there's been over the years in the comic books and stuff, they could have had something better than Nuclear Man, right? Yeah. <laughs> how does how does Lex Luthor and his cousin or his nephew Lenny? I think it was is Lenny. It? John Cryer is Lenny. <laughs> yeah. How do, how do they go to the museum? And oh, yes. hair with just a common bolt cutters. You know, how, how does that happen? <laughs> yes, the hair that's holding yeah. that massive weight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, this is one thing that's, uh, you know, kind of made me laugh, um, especially watching Superman 2, was um, Lex Luthor's voice changing and in mid scene. You know, mm-hmm. I mean. Well, that's, that's, that's Rich Little, you know. Um, uh, dubbing in because you know Gene Hackman didn't want to come back because of Donner because of the Donner situation. Yeah. So uh, so you know Rich Rich Little who does a lot of you know does impressions that's his job. Uh, he came in and and did uh, Gene Hackman, which is why when you hear things like "Haven't you guys ever heard of parachutes?" it's like that's not that's not Gene Hackman. That's Rich Little. Yeah. You know. So so pretty much any time where it's sort of like an over the shoulder or a double. <laughs> Yeah. You know, or like a really obvious stunt double. It's yeah. like that's that's Richard. That's Richard. Or a really really yeah. wide shot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he flat out wouldn't work with Lester, would he? He was again. He he uh, he backed Donna, and um, yeah, you know, I don't I don't good. think it was necessarily anti-Lester, just more solidarity with Donna. I, yeah, I, yeah, from yeah. what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, while we're on that subject, then uh, obviously we've talked about how how great um, we think you know Christopher Reeve's portrayal of Superman stroke Clark Kent is. Um, we haven't talked though much about other characters, and obviously there's been various um, p- 
portrayals and adaptations over the years uh, in the in the you know the, the movies and the TV shows, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, what are our feelings on uh, well Lex Luthor, for example? Because I, I must admit, I, I love Gene Hackman. As, as an actor, I think he's one of the greats and I totally respect him and like him. However, <laughs> the, the, the kind of slapstick, um, you know, Lex Luthor surrounding himself with, you know, buffoons and, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. I always had a little bit of a problem with, with, with that portrayal of Lex Luthor. Um, I was always, you know, I, I, I love what Michael Rosenbaum did in Smallville. I was obviously a massive Smallville fan. That was many years later, of course, but I love that. And I even like what John Shea did in the uh, Lois and Clark Adventures of Superman um, TV series, where, where you know, um, Lex at that point was more of a sort of equal opponent to, to Clark and whatever. But... Um, I, I don't know. I've, I've always, you know, even watching this extended cut, there's there's a lot of um, extra slapstick stuff in it, which really makes me chuckle between him and Otis, you know, but and, and Miss Tess Mocker, who obviously we love. Um, but uh, but I, you know, I, I don't know what what do you what do you guys think about um, Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor? I mean, personally, I think he. And again, keep in mind, this is like when I was 11 years old, but I, I, I loved him and I still do. And I, and I, and I, I like the little family unit, those three characters, uh, make up. And, uh, I, I let it slide because, um, first of all, he's so funny and he's so, I mean, he's just <laughs> he so funny. great. He's so great. And then, and then the, 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 the byplay with the other characters with Valerie Perrine and Ned Beatty is, is also so wonderful. I mean, every single joke, like, you know, you were followed again and then he, Yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I laugh at it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I yeah. love that stuff. It's so much fun. And I think it just gets you more engaged in, in at least what is, again, a fantasy. You know, it's like it's, it's, it's a comic book fantasy. It was 1978 when it came out. To have Luther be like this, you know, Machiavellian badass like he would be today, I don't think that would have played as well in terms of the alchemy of what that film what the 78 film was it just i just feel like he needed a little bit of a lighter touch which is what they did and they did it incredibly well and, he, and even in superman 2 i think you know lex had some really great lines especially as he kind of pretended to be submissive to the kryptonians uh he still had the plan all along of what was gonna you know uh happen and um i feel like uh i don't know i i think it also makes him more dangerous in a way when he does you know, he does show that he's incredibly smart and he, you know, he had the crypt, the kryptonite in the, in the lead box and he had all this planned out and he defeated Superman. It was only because Miss Tessmacher um, had the hots for Superman that basically he was able to save, you know, at least half of America in the beginning. Mm. He was smart. All right. I mean, the fact he was a, even able to work out about kryptonite was, <laughs> was pretty amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> but it, it, is, it seems like with Otis and his Tessmacher, there must be like some secret Luther army somewhere in, but beneath his lair because so much stuff had to get done. Like in terms of like getting the trucks to go out and and, and uh, to commandeer the uh, the missiles and, and do that, you know, all that stuff they had to do where it's just the three of them. But he had so much, I mean, obviously he's rich, but he has so many resources. It's like Batman. How does Batman build the Batcave? 
by himself without telling anyone. Even if it's just him and Alfred, how does that happen? You know? Yeah. So it's like it's like you have to just go with it. And I and I yeah. went with it. And I think the film rewards you if you if you play along with it. You know, oh, yeah. I mean it's, it's the tone of the film. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I laughed when I was re-watching it recently. I said the TV uh, cut Blu-ray that I invested in. And uh, I was actually, yes, I was laughing out loud. I mean, particularly the, uh, you know, sorry, Mr. Luthor, I don't have a long enough arm. You know, and he's like, do you want to see a really long arm, Otis? You know, and all that. <laughs> I, I, I just, and, and of course, you know, in the second one, when he goes into his, what, me, Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind that's lived and you know all of that stuff it's beautifully delivered and it's and it's really really funny but um yeah i i I don't know i'm i just watching it nowadays i just kind of um you know there have been other portrayals of lex which which i guess i've preferred just because they've been maybe a bit more serious and you know you've believed more that he's this um you know genius criminal mastermind uh and whatever but uh, but no i I, to- I totally respect everything you're saying and and i do i i find it very amusing it's just sometimes it feels like it, it, it it's another movie sometimes to me but um but yeah that's just me what about you simon sorry what do you think i'm waffling you are <laughs> <laughs> i won't argue with that uh no i i love gene hackman's portrayal of lex Luthor. Uh, yeah, it's it's not the classic Lex Luthor. It's not what we've had in the comics or uh, other shows, but it really works. I I really enjoy it. You know, I enjoy all this stuff. And, you know, as Charles says, it makes him more dangerous because you're laughing at him, that you, you, you underestimate him. And Superman certainly does that. He mm-hmm. certainly underestimates him. I mean, the fact that Lex Luthor had this plan to do this land grab by, uh, you know, detonating a uh, hydrogen bomb on the uh, the fault line. Um, but then also thinking, well, you know, Superman could try and stop me, so I'm going to fire, I'm going to have two go off, you know, yeah. Yeah. in the other direction. Um, and then, of course, we got wonderful things like Otisburg. Otisburg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> or, or stuff like um you know the thing my father said to me get yeah. out <laughs> but before that <laughs> yeah. I, it's so memorable and yeah it, it, you know the the other patrols you've talked about i can't remember them that well as as i do with gene hackman playing lex luther it, it works yeah, they and they were in, to be fair, they were in different things. I mean, I, I think this is this is kind of the uh, the interesting thing with with Superman and, and the set of characters that are around him is is mm. is um, it can be um, it can be interpreted many ways. And uh, you know, you know, uh, for for all these sort of if you like shortcomings, maybe of 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 Lois and Clark, for example, one of the things I was sort of impressed with with that was. They, they took it and they made it something else. Uh, mm. Deborah Joy Levine or whatever her name was, the showrunner, she, she, she turned it into a, essentially a romantic comedy, uh, you know, set in the 90s. And, yes. um, and uh, obviously um, most of what came until the Zack Snyder film, until the sort of massive reboot, uh, even Smallville had, had always um, 
sort of followed very much the Donner model. And, you know, you, you would have Krypton as this sort of crystalline, you know, planets and, um, you, you know, you'd always have music inspired by, you know, the John Williams uh, theme and, you know, all of those, all of those good things for very good reasons. But, um, but that show did go another way and, uh, and, and you're absolutely right. It can be, it can be all sorts of things. It can yeah. be funny. It can be serious and yeah, dark and whatever. It's all I, I have to ask, what did you guys think of Supergirl? Mm. <laughs> I was I, I was never uh, I've not watched it in a long time and I know there's there's various versions of that floating around out there as well but um I was never a uh you know I kind of obviously liked her but I was never a uh, a massive fan of the film to be fair um I haven't seen it in a long time it's been like 30 years or so since I've seen it um so it's not I mean I remember being sort of unimpressed but still also kind of okay with it like you know it's it's harmless it doesn't really doesn't ruin the canon or anything and it had an interesting cast and goldsmith score was was fun i mean it wasn't wasn't superman but it was still great you know jerry goldsmith can fall out of bed and create a great score so that was that was fun um and helen slater you know beautiful and innocent and yet very powerful and strong so it had it kind of had the elements it just didn't coalesce into something great yeah. you know and uh I, so yeah, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's bad. It's just, it's just kind of pleasantly forgettable. I hate to say it. So it's just like, I, I, I saw it. Yeah, whatever. Next. And it was, that's kind of like how I remember it. I mean, I wasn't a, a big fan of it, but my sister loved that film back in the eighties. Um, she, she used to watch it quite a bit. Film wise, I'd say this is very different, but uh, it's kind of, kind of like the closest it got. She had Supergirl and I had Superman. But yeah, that's that's probably about as close as we got <laughs> film taste wise. But I mean, yeah, I'm like you guys. It's 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 harmless. Um, it tries something different with the whole sort of uh, magic stuff, and they try to sort of show us what the Phantom Zone looked like. Yeah, I should revisit it. There was there was a rumor at one point that it was going to be part of the um, you know the big home media collection that they released for Superman. And mm -hmm. there was, there was rumors that it was going to include the Supergirl, uh, various cuts of the Supergirl fi um, film as well. And it didn't, uh, it didn't actually turn up in that set, which is sort of why I haven't seen it in a long time. Yes. But, so I know it's out there. Yeah. Yeah. And of course it's popular on TV. <laughs> I almost, uh, I almost clicked on it on my black Friday purchasing, uh, on the Warner archive, um, site, but I didn't, I couldn't quite pull the trigger on it. I, just, I looked at it. And I thought I'd be, I might want to buy a disc of a movie that I know that I like versus one that I kind of vaguely remember. So, <laughs> what year did Superman Returns come out? Well, Superman Returns came out in two thousand six. Okay, uh, which was kind of an odd time because obviously at that point um, that was kind of midway through, you know, the Smallville run on television. Mm. So you, suddenly you had completely unconnected but you had a you know superman on the tv uh, and superman in on the big screen again and um yeah well i mean it's it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> i think you uh, just said it all there yeah i mean I, I i like some of the touches but i i you know i like the fact it's a love letter to the original but you know i mean i remember when the trailer came out and i was just seeing like 
the the look of it. It was like, oh, okay, this could be really good. And I liked so, and, and in the trailer, I liked some of the the new touches. I liked the the shot of of Superman up in the heavens listening for trouble below. And then when he hears something, his eyes opens and he shoots down for the sky. I thought, oh wow, this could be really good. But then of course, then seeing it at the cinema was really disappointed. Actually, I had quite a good first cinema experience of that though, because I had, I mean, it's it's a bit of a gimmick when you look at it now, but um, I went to see it. They showed it at the IMAX and what they showed it, it was, it was in partial 3D. So in other words, the, I mean, this was before, you know, this was a few years before Avatar came out. So it was before suddenly everything was in 3D. Yeah. Mm. And um, it was a, it was a bit of a gimmick, but they gave you the 3D glasses and essentially they would put a little um, logo up in the corner when to put them on. And a lot of the action and flying sequences were in 3D and the rest of the movie one. It was almost weird. It was almost like when Clark takes his glasses off was the cue for you to put yours on kind of thing. Which, um, but, but you know, you know, it was a bit of a gimmick, but I went to see it that way. But I mean, the, the problem with it was, is first of all, I had trouble buying it as a sequel you know, because so much time had passed, I mm. had sort of problems buying it as a sequel to, um, you, you know, Superman 2. I mean, not least of the fact that, you know, all the cast was different for starters. Um, and it was obviously, they'd said it contemporary, so they hadn't even like, you know, recast it, but tried to sort of set it back in that that world. Um, and I kind of like the fact, you know, I love the fact that they used the the Williams score and they 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 copied the sort of opening credits. And obviously, they got permission from the Brando estate that they could use um, some of the Jor-El footage and stuff again, which was which was sort of cool. But uh, you know, other than those those things um, that were sort of external, <laughs> you know, flourishes to the film, um, I personally didn't. It didn't work for me on a number of levels. And I have to also say, in terms of casting, I've got nothing against Brandon Rolf at all. But, um, you know, like I said, at the time we had Smallville on TV. And, and for me, um, Tom Welling was a much better, um, you know, uh, analogue for Christopher Reeve than... than um, Brandon Rolf was. And, and, you know, you it's funny, Charles, you mentioned quite earlier on about... Christopher Reeve's piercing blue eyes and I agree to me Superman's always supposed to have blue eyes and and stuff and uh yeah I mean you know Brandon Rolf for me just didn't didn't kind of work and and really I mean he was the least of the problems the the the, the film didn't really work for me but I did see it you know several times I think at the cinema when it was out and um you know I obviously got it on home media as well so even though i'm saying i I didn't really like it i've certainly spent a lot of money on it (laughs) i don't know what about you guys well it seemed like i mean to me it seemed like a good idea at the time i mean it's i mean i i love the idea of doing sort of a pseudo sequel to the first film and then sort of the second film um and i and i appreciate that brandon routh had sort of a christopher reeve-esque you know sort of uh sensibility to his uh approach to superman but um, yeah, I think when I was, I got, I got into an early screening of it, like about, I don't know, like a week before it opened. And 
And so I was very super excited and, you know, because of the trailers and because of the whole sort of Donner porn of it all, because it's sort of like, let's just, let's just have like a, a Donner indulgence on the, with this film. And, and it kind of, it kind of was that. So, um, I, and I came out of it thinking, well, that was really not what I wanted. And, and, and that's not fair to any film or filmmaker to like say, Oh, I wanted you to make a different film just for me. It's like, well, no, you, you had a film you wanted to make. It just is not what I thought I was going to get. I thought I was going to get a return to form and a return to the original Superman that I fell in love with as a kid. And, and, and it's summed up in many ways in the in the shuttle uh, rescue sequence, which is, you know, that it's a spectacular sequence. And, you know, the, the plane breaks and breaks apart and he saves the shuttle and a lot of stuff going on. And it's and it's a huge quantum leap forward in visual effects from the, the first film. But to me, where it fails uh, and it's and it's a painful fail is when he delivers the, you know, the fuselage down to the, the stadium and. He goes in and makes sure makes sure everyone is okay, and then he comes out, and then the the, the crowd at the the baseball game erupts in cheers because Superman has returned after five years of being away. And for whatever reason, Brian Singer, Brian Routh, whoever's decision it was, had him just kind of like look at them with this sort of like not, it wasn't a blank stare necessarily, but it was like this. Kind of like, yeah, that's right. I'm Superman. I'm a badass stare. Versus, <laughs> versus if it was Christopher Reeve, he'd be beaming. He'd be like mm. a kid who on Christmas morning. He would be like so happy, you know? And that to me was like, that was where Superman Returns got kind of moody and, and kind of stalkery in some, some yes. scenes. Oh, and, big time. Uh, yeah. And all that, st- all, all that stuff on the, the, the kryptonite island uh, was so gray and moody and gloomy and it just it just it didn't feel like the superman movie i thought i was going to see therefore I, I left disappointed and then here's and then there's like double jeopardy for me is um opening night i, I had already bought tickets for opening night at the chinese so i was going and my friend rob burnett who produced the requiem for krypton documentary on the making of superman returns and he's, and he's actually in it as a reporter briefly he, uh, he said, hey, do you want to come hang out? We're going to be at the Hamburger Hamlet across the street from the Chinese. And Brian Singer was there. So it was like we were all, you know, like a group of people and we we're hanging out with Brian Singer. And the entire time I'm looking at Singer thinking, man, I want to tell you what I think about your movie. And the fact that I now have to watch it again, even though I don't really want to right away. I mean, maybe in the future. Um, it was kind of a very awkward evening <laughs> when I saw it that second time. Yeah. By the way, is, is that the same Robert Burnett who did uh, Free Enterprise? Yes. Oh, I love that movie. Anyway, that's that's a whole other podcast. But no, um, but 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 you're right. I mean, it, it seemed like kind of um, you know a load of homages to um, Donna's film, but then it kind of missed, like you said there, with that with that whole choice of of, of Superman after he saved the shuttle and stuff. It, it kind of missed it, and it was really weird because even with the costume and the sort of darker, the more muted color tones, it actually reminded me more of the sort of evil Superman from Superman 3's costume than, than the Christopher Reeve one. Um, you, you know, and I, and I sort of thought that Brandon Rolfe did a better job as Clark Kent, as, as Christopher mm. Reeve's Clark Kent, than he actually did as, as Superman. That was kind of my thought on it. I always thought that he got the, the, the Clark sort of spot on. But um, yeah, for me, it was just kind of lacking, and 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 I didn't think the storyline was great, and uh, and I definitely didn't like the kind of implied son of Superman thing. 
in that. I, I, I really hated that. And, and you're right, it was damn stalky to a, to a creepy point almost. Mm. <laughs> it just, you know, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't great. It, you know, again, it, it, I think it had its heart in the right place. It just, I think they, they made it a decision to, to make it kind of more serious and, uh, and less silly quote unquote than the Donner films, because, um, I don't know, first of all, Batman begins had come out and it, you know, made a connection and that, that got Warner brothers probably excited about, okay, let's, let's do kind of like more grounded, darker takes on these materials. And, um, that I think possibly was the decision that kind of sent that film in a, in a bad trajectory. You know, I think that that would, that they really should have tried to rediscover what made the first film, um, such a beautiful, joyful experience and not make it so dour. And, and even like Kevin Spacey is, is Luther. It's like, well, I, I get it. You want to now kind of course correct from the cartoony Gene Hackman portrayal, which I disagree with, but fine. Mm-hmm. It um, doesn't work. To, it doesn't really work. I mean, there is some, there are some like little attempts at humor that I think sort of score some, some points now and then, but, um, yeah, it's just, it just kind of felt like no one really knew exactly why they were making this film. They just knew that they had to make it and they knew that people love the Donner film. So let's try to emulate that as much as we could. Um, I, I'm not sure there was some bold new direction being taken with it. No, I agree. It sounds like, we, it sounds like we're all pretty much in agreement with these, uh, these films. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't hold up to the um, to the promise of what the original was, and well, and and hence why beyond that they decided not to make a sequel, even though they obviously set things up in that film for a potential sequel. But that was sort of in development hell for some years, and then they just decided to uh, to go ahead and do an entire reboot. Um, And, you know, I absolutely 100% agree with what you said at the beginning, Charles. I think Henry Cavill is is almost like the the perfect person of today that they could have cast as Superman. I think, uh, you know, he looks the part. I like what he does with the role and everything. And even though there were a lot of problems with Man of Steel... um, I did kind of respect what Zack Snyder did in the fact that he did try and make something that was completely different to the Donner films, where everybody else had always, you know, whether it was with the theme music or the look or, you know, they'd always kind of gone with with what Donner had done so brilliantly, um, you know, that, that he did choose to move away and do something different and have a different vision of Krypton and um you know try try a lot of other things with it although um you know i've got problems with it i don't think it was necessarily uh successful but um and uh, but i do think it's sad that uh henry cavill is talking about um you know leaving the role well uh, I, yeah, yeah go, you, go, you go simon for a change okay <laughs> i was gonna say um um I, f- I think both Superman Returns and Man of Steel suffers from being in the shadow of the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy because those films did so well. They felt that Superman had to be darker and moodier, which, you know, was never what Superman was about. It, it's, you know, because they do this whole uh, kind of um, broken uh, timeline with uh, Man of Steel. So it's... It's aping kind of what they did in Batman Begins. 
and so you you have that scene after um, Clark has saved the the the, the school bus, and uh, he's talking to Jen- Jonathan Car- Kent, you know, uh, Kevin Costner, about you know, did I do a bad thing? And it's it's like Kevin Costner's like, well, maybe you shouldn't have done anything. You know, you should have let those kids die. You know, just to sort of hide who you are. And I think that kind of stuff always sort of didn't sit very well with me because you take the original Superman, you know, similar scene where he's, you know, he's he's run, he's he's raced against the train, which is such a glorious scene. It's like, you know, even today it's like it's done so well, you know, the fact that it's all practical. Um, you know, and Jonathan Kent say, well, you know, son, you know, you weren't here to kick a football. You know, you were put on this earth to do something. And then, you know, Man of Steel, it's like, well, maybe you should not do anything. Maybe you should just hide and not let anybody know who you are. And, you know, that kind of stuff didn't, it didn't sort of sit with me very well. I mean, the fact that the, you know, the deaths of Jonathan Kent in both films are so different. I mean, so in the original Superman you know, he has a heart attack. And it's it, that's heartbreaking because that could happen to anybody's parent. You could be, you know... I mean, the fact that he was just talking to him and he he has that heart attack and, and he dies. And Clark feels like he can't do anything about it. And then you get Man of Steel where it's like, Tornado! <laughs> you know, and Jonathan's like puts his hand out and goes you know don't don't save me and just like oh it's so awful i was just yeah. like oh man i was like well we got to do something bigger don't we uh what can yeah. we do tornado uh yeah i mean much as i love kevin costner i agree it wasn't it wasn't up to the you know uh, the glenn ford stuff from the uh original. yeah yeah <laughs> no. you know can, can i say costner is wonderful in man of steel i mean yeah. when when uh, i can't remember the exact line but when young clark is like can i just go back to being like your son again or whatever he goes and, and and costner says you are my son and, he, and his voice breaks when he says it mm. I, I think that was in the trailer and i kind of teared up i mean it was such a wonderful mm. um delivery of that um yeah, I mean, Man of Steel. I loved the uh, the stuff on Krypton in the beginning. I thought that was a really great sort of very alien, very kind of out there, almost rock opera looking, you know, uh, yes. Krypton, yeah, uh, with with the the little penis pods that send Zod and his bad guys up into space. I don't know what the hell that was about, but okay, fine. Um, but uh, I thought Russell Crowe was a really good Jor-El. I mean, it 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 had a lot of really great new kind of uh, re-energized elements. Um, and and y- y- you both know, I mean, to me, John Williams is a god, and there's like no there's no touching his original score. However, I thought Hans Zimmer did a brilliant job of his own. I mean, he really delivered, I thought, an amazing score that had nothing to do with what John Williams was doing. It's radically different, and yet still served the character um, and, and, the, and sort of like both the, the heroism and the responsibility. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and even brought back some of the joy, like when Superman... Uh, is learning how to fly, and mm-hmm. you know, he kind of he kind of blows it the first time, but then the second time he figures it out, and like he's so happy about it. And that cue on the soundtrack, it's called "Flight," is one of the best sort of like I don't know, uplifting uh, pieces of music I've ever heard Hans Zimmer create. So, 
Um, there's elements in Man of Steel which I love. I mean, I really, mm-hmm. really love. But then, yeah, it gets a little sloppy and messy with how things work with you know the Kryptonian powers on Earth and how they're adapting to it and the and the atmosphere and the sun and it's like a little bit too much science uh, being discussed with how the powers work and how they adjust. Um, and, and just, I don't know, it just, the plan was maybe not always as clean and easy as it should have been for a movie like this. But having said that, I think that, um, it's a, it's a decent, uh, reboot. Um, I think there's a lot of really good stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's certainly better than what uh, came after, at least in terms of it being, um, uh, faithful to the character and, and, and it gave Superman kind of what he needed to exist in a modern, with a modern audience. Um, because I don't think the Christopher Reeve, Richard Donner version would, would play to, to kids today necessarily. Maybe it would, I don't know, but I feel like this whole notion of it's a, it's kind of a darker, scarier world. So everything has to adjust accordingly is an unfortunate reality that we might be dealing with. I, I, again, I really hope these things aren't true, but they seem to be because that's just what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a really weird aside, but have you guys seen the new Coen Brothers movie yet? Uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs? Uh, not yet, but uh, I have not I've got it queued up on Netflix. I don't want to spoil it, but there's, well, there's it's like an anthology movie. There's like, mm. you know, like five or six stories. And there's one in there which sums up what you're talking about in terms of the the need to keep upping the stakes of spectacle and like keep wowing the audience. And you have to keep kind of complicating it and making it, you know, more ridiculous and more you know, just bigger and better than the last thing. And I, I probably shouldn't even spoil it then, but there's this bit where there's a traveling um, performer uh, and he has a handler played by Liam Neeson. And he, he just gives these beautiful soliloquies uh, and speeches. And it's very simple. It's like, he's, he just, he's a really great speaker and, and people love listening to, to him talk. But then it's almost like after three or four of those shows, the audiences get smaller and smaller. The applause dwindles down to nothing. And then suddenly there's this new thing down the road which is a chicken that can do math okay <laughs> it's kind of like that's that sums up to me what like modern like blockbuster <laughs> it's like what's the new chicken that can do math i love it oh that's it yeah i mean that's that's on my uh that's on my back of the list so i'll have to check that out for sure mm. but um but yeah i mean with, with man of steel i have to be honest i was i was loving it for like the first at least two thirds of the film, if not more, I was I was really liking the differences and liking the choices um, that had been made with it. Uh, my problem simply got, you know, and again, it's back to exactly what you're saying, Simon, about everything has to be bigger and better than it was, and you know, the spectacle with the whole sort of. Oh, you know, let's have a fight and, and and essentially destroy his hometown of Smallville, and then let let's take that fight to Metropolis and destroy half the city, and 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 you know, and all of this stuff. Whereas, it, it, in the original or in Superman two, you know, he simply as soon as he started seeing people getting hurt, yes, yeah. he flew to the Fortress of Solitude to take it all away from yeah. from people in harm's way. And that was the point that I thought this film missed. And it's interesting that they then ended up making that a plot point for, um, uh, you know, the film that followed. The, Batman the, the v Superman. Superman Batman yeah. v Superman, because, you, you know, they, they made the, I guess, the criticism they had had about the, the amount of, um, you know, collateral da- damage and, and fallout of that. They obviously made that, you know, Batman's, 
or Bruce Wayne's, um, you know, motivation in that film. But, uh, but yeah, I, I thought in terms of Man of Man of Steel as a film in its own right, um, they got three quarters of it really done really well. And they just, if you like, ruined it in that last, last act for me. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, Superman did most of the damage <laughs> at some point. I mean, the fact when he's punching and dragging Zod through buildings and stuff and it's just like there's there's no consequences to it yeah, i mean i hated that yeah it, it was a really it was a really vogue thing for a few years there i mean i know we're not going back that far now mm. but um you, you know it seemed that every major movie franchise or every blockbuster movie that came out had to have some sort of city destruction landscape because technology was good enough to do that you know um in the computer now and uh but i just thought in terms of actual storytelling i you know i compare it to what you're saying about you know um glenn ford having a heart attack and uh you know kevin costner getting swept up in a tornado it it, it it's it's you know, it's like they had to go bigger with it, and and I don't think they necessarily needed to. I think had he had he flown to the Fortress of Solitude, even though that's been done before, but you know, to do that and show it differently would have would have been a lot more compelling. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I've it's this weird thing. I think when the sort of destruction of a city is done well, it can be very powerful, but they never seem to get it do it very well. I, the, the film that springs to mind when anybody talks about destruction of a city, I think Akira. Mm-hmm. I think of that film and, and the, the destruction of Neo-Tokyo. It, that is gut-wrenching. You know, the, the scene, the, the destruction on that scale, you, you feel it, even though Neo-Tokyo is really scummy. <laughs> you know, if anywhere should have been wiped off the face of the earth is Neo-Tokyo. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but when when you see like Metropolis being you know half destroyed or um, San Francisco in into darkness, that it doesn't feel like there's any consequences. I mean, the fact that you know at the end of Man of Steel you see Clark Kent turning up for work at the uh, you know Daily Planet, and it doesn't look like the city's been touched. And same mm. again with Into Darkness. You know, I know it's a couple of years, it's supposedly like a year or so later when you see uh, Kirk give his speech after he, you know, recovered with that small brush with death. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, he just had a slight case, case of death. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, it's there's, there's no consequences, you know, and that's, that's where it kind of fails. I mean, yeah, you can you can do all this stuff now in a computer, or you can do it practically, but you don't feel it. I mean, yeah, uh, it is. I mean, it's you know, it could have been a great film. I mean, that it had the, um, it had the the bits in there to do it, but it just overall, when it came together, it just it it was kind of lacking. It's a shame. Well, I think um, this is around the time when um, fans started, like, and, and critics started making a note that DC was trying to reverse engineer Marvel. And, mm-hmm. you know, Marvel had taken these very methodical steps to slowly and gradually yeah. build 
their 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 characters and they're like the the bench of their team basically and so we got to know all these characters so that when you finally did bring them together there was meaning to it and we cared and we liked them and we liked seeing how they interacted with each other how the sparks would fly and so on and so forth and i think you know um and not just dc but i think other franchises as well just they, they saw that crazy marvel money and they went nuts and they said we have to do the same thing yes. how can we do it as quickly as possible so you know i hate to use the word like unearned because i guess thrown around pretty easily but i, I do feel like you know they that maybe if it, they had just pumped the brakes a little bit and just taken a little bit more time to build these relationships before throwing these characters together hmm. um it, it might have served them better in the long term because as as we know by now you know that all kind of they all kind of hit the fan in uh, in justice league uh mm-hmm. because you know it was it was just not planned for this way it was just it was just it was rushed in yeah. in, in, in long term you know uh terms it was just they, they just did not plan for it the way marvel did and and they you know i, I don't I, here's to say maybe maybe they they didn't or they, or they couldn't for whatever reason they just had to get to justice league for whatever you know stockholders demands were or whatever but i just feel like man it's just a shame because those characters are so great and i would love to have seen you know, Superman, Batman, Flash, Wonder Woman, all these characters together. Um, but when they finally did come together, it felt so, like, sketched. You know, the fact yeah. that, that like, half or more of the Justice League were established basically through emails. And yeah. I, I forget which movie it was, but the convenient you know, logo on each person's dossier. Yeah, Batman v Superman, that was. Yeah, with uh, with Wonder Woman's... Um... Yeah, email with, with 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 all the little videos, and and again, <laughs> you, you know, I, I agree one hundred percent with what you're saying. They they didn't earn it. I know everybody bats that around, and and I get that. But um, you know, it, it is such a shame because I wanted to love those movies because I love those characters. Um, but I honestly think that with DC stuff, I think they've done a much better job on network television of all things than they've actually done with the movies which is which is a bit of a shame really you know <laughs> well yeah so. i mean the because the, originally they were going to do man of steel 2 and then they scrapped that to do batman v superman they felt you know hey you know we've still got batman batman's money let's bring batman in and then they decided to do a mashup of dark knight returns and death of superman Mm-hmm. And that was just an absolute mess. And also the fact that, um, you know, I just really didn't like their version of Batman. I mean, the fact that he just, you know, went around and if he wasn't um, branding people with his back mark, he was uh, gunning people down with his machine guns and stuff. I mean, it was just, um, I don't know, it just, there was nothing in the story to sort of say why he was going harder mm. you know it just didn't it just it was yeah it's just so rushed so forced and yeah you know stuff in the, the scripts you know we all laugh about i mean the whole martha <laughs> <laughs> why do you say that name yeah it's ah uh, yeah it's it just, was just yeah, yeah i mean it, it, it's you know it's it's unfortunate uh, you know they tried to do something different but at the same time they absolutely tried to copy you know marvel what, yeah what marvel have spent a decade setting up you know <laughs> yeah so, or at least uh, you know by the time the, the the first avengers came out they'd had what you know three or four movies or 
standalone movies before that. Mm. And um, it, is, it is a shame. But uh, who knows what they're going to do next. We're going to get... Well, DC don't seem to know what it's doing because from the sounds of it, we're going to get all sorts of different strands of things now. Like we've got a, a Joker movie coming that's not related to any of this. And we've got another one that is related to it. And yeah, it's, it's all over the shop at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm not sure how. Um, well, I think didn't they say they're, they're they're kind of abandoning the the coordinated shared universe and now they're just going to make you know the films they want to make. Um, to your point, where Joker is not really related to what's happening in the, the Snyder verse. Uh, you know, I mean, we are going to get Wonder Woman 1984. We're, we're obviously getting Aquaman very soon. That I hear is really good. So um, it sounds like maybe they're just going to make movies and not just and not bother with the shared universe architecture that you know Marvel has has really focused heavily on. It seems like DC will just go back to like let's just make cool movies we want to make and hopefully they'll work, you know, uh, which is not not necessarily a bad approach given what's transpired. So um, and maybe one day they'll they'll take like you know a couple of years off and they'll do like a a new re 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 reboot and <laughs> and start over. But um, I'm uh, sure they it's, will. It's, yeah. It's it's difficult. I mean, you really do need kind of like a, a Kevin Feige type figurehead to to oversee this stuff because it's someone who can not only wrangle the studio politics and all the personalities involved and all the directors and their prima donna visions and all these things. You need someone who understands story and the long term kind of arc of it all and where it's all leading towards. And you can look ten years down the road and and say, okay, this is an event we have to prepare for. So how many movies? How many characters? How many things do we have to put into play first? And make those things great so they're successful and people want to see more of it and then pay that off with an infinity war type you know uh climax and i that is herculean i mean that is that is a i mean it's amazing that they have pulled that off and it's, mm. it's not for everybody you know yeah. and, and by the way certain certain characters might not be right for it. the dc universe might not be right for that type of build-up you know maybe it's better that they all they're all individual films with unique visions and different directors and different styles and you know, you just have to you have to pace it out. That's the, that's my thing, and that, and that goes to Star Wars as well. Like Star Wars, you know, when we were facing having um, the, the the prospect of a movie a year, you know, either uh, an episode or a, a story, a Star Wars story. I mean, as a as a Star Wars nerd, that sounds amazing. It sounds like you know Christmas every morning, but um, but at some point, the event of it starts to fade because you realize, oh, there'll be another one next year. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. that's and that is something you have to weigh that people just need to to pace themselves as viewers, and not just filmmakers pacing themselves as filmmakers. It's like it's all there's there's all a a good timing for all this, and and different franchises have different needs and different ways they can play out and be successful. Um, and they're not all equal. Like you should not be copying Marvel's playbook. You shouldn't be copying Star Wars playbook. You shouldn't be copying DC's playbook. You should be doing your own thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it comes down to uh, the studios are, are, are sort of chasing that money now. Um, they have fewer and fewer properties that are actually bringing the money in. So the properties they do have, they are squeezing every penny they can get out of them until, <clears throat> you know, they they finally, they, you know, they run dry. I mean, it's, 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 it's such, such a shame, you know. You know, I, I see it happening to Star Wars that... You know, there's more and more and more stuff coming out. We've got TV series. We've got other cartoons. You know, they'll, they'll just keep going with it until people stop watching. Mm. And I, I do wonder where what's going to happen to studios because they're pumping tons of money into these sort of 10-pulp films. But yet they're, 
they're bringing back in less and less money and with the the actual sort of uh, franchises are getting less and less so there's going to be a breaking point at some point you know in the future or everything's just going to be owned by disney <laughs> yeah well, at this rate yeah <laughs> yeah who knows but i mean it's, it's right back to the thing that we were saying at the beginning you know that we used to have to back in our day you know mm-hmm. we had to be patient and and wait and you know sometimes it was two to four years between the movies and uh well like i said that 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 four-year period of those mm. films I mentioned at the beginning, you know, that's that seems all compressed in my mind anyway. Um, yeah, you know, there was always every year there was something to enjoy and yeah. um, something different to enjoy, um, and uh, you know that that's that's a real shame. But um, well, I mean, I think they just need to, you know, give a bit more time to these processes. I mean, the the scripts are being churned out very quickly. It feels like. And, you know, I think sometimes they need to spend a bit more time on the writing, the storytelling. Because, I mean, they can do the spectacle, they can do the effects really well. But, they, you know, when it comes to story and characters, sometimes it's, it's kind of lacking. Or, you story know, and character is everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and as we talked about with, you know, directors being replaced and, you know, off, even after they've, you know, finish shooting the film, it, it it's kind of like, it, it's sad to see, you know, a director's vision then being kind of, you know, taken away and changed. I was mm. going to use the word mutilated, but, uh, you know, sometimes, <laughs> you know, sometimes it has worked out better than, you know, what the film's turned out to be. But as a filmmaker myself, it's, you know, it's kind of worrying that, that thing that you envisioned, the, the film that you set out to make, you know, a studio could come along and say, well, we're not happy with it because it's not this, this or this. And so we're just going to take it away and turn it into something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all want their IPs and it's all done by committee nowadays. But uh, there you go. Um, so, Charles, obviously you wanted to come on and specifically talk about... Um, Superman the movie uh as I said it's scary to think that it's it's going to be 40 years old um uh anytime soon um <laughs> have you I mean you know like I said at the beginning I'm really pleased that you uh asked us to come on and do this because because it often feels very sort of self-indulgent and we have these sort of esoteric little uh, conversations and stuff but I mean have, have you covered what you wanted to on this or is there any other aspect that we've not really touched on i know it's a huge subject but is there anything else you want to add well i mean just in regards to superman the movie i, I definitely want to talk more about the last jedi um i thought we could uh no no i um look i i think superman the movie is is it's as it's as great today as it was in 1978, um, because it has a pure heart mm. to it. Um, it is it it doesn't pretend to be anything it isn't. It's just it's just there to make you feel good, to give you a great time, to tell a compelling story, um, to to have you fall in love with all of these characters, 
and and to leave the theater feeling not just good about the movie you just saw or good about yourself, but good about the world, you know, and, and our place in it. And and maybe try to find a better way forward. And I think in in these quote unquote dark times we're in, because I feel like it's been dark for a while, but it's like it seems like it's darker and darker every day. I feel like a film like Superman the movie gives you hope. You know, it's like that we will pull pull out of this and we will find our own way forward. And we, you know, that we are good people. We just lack the light to show the way. You know, I, I feel like that is what is is much needed. And I and I hope that movies don't forget that lesson that it doesn't have to be doom and gloom. It doesn't have to be dark and badass and, and, you know, and all these cool things the kids seem to like. It's like, it, it can be a little cheesy and it can be a little corny and it, and it, and it's okay uh, because we, you know, we're, we're human, we're imperfect. And Superman to me crystallizes that. Um, that and the thing about, it, I love about Christopher Reeve Superman also is that he is, so much like us. I mean, he is kind of, you know, imperfect and kind of a nerd and kind of like, you know, uh, he means well, but he doesn't always, you know, make the best decisions, but he, he will, he'll make up for it. You know, if he makes a mistake, he will, he will come back. He'll, he'll go to the fortress. He'll, he'll find that magic crystal and he'll get his powers back and he'll come back and save the day somehow, but he will, he'll walk, you know, in real time to the forces of solitude and get that, get that crystal. So, um, I, I, I think just the, the dedication and determination of that character is inspiring. And the fact that it's meant to be um, kind of, or not, not kind of, totally selfless and he's willing to sacrifice so much for other people is a really great message. And even though we may not perfectly pull that off day to day, just the fact that we can try and, and just try to think in those terms, um, I, I think that makes Superman the movie um, an essential film, frankly. An essential, an essential genre film. And um, if you love comic books and if you love fantasy and science fiction and action, it's got it's got all of that and then some. Yeah. Mm-hmm. End of speech. <laughs> Love it. No, I agree with uh, everything you said there. Absolutely. Yeah. Really, that's, that's probably a good note to end it on then, isn't it? <laughs> well, I just wanted to say, I mean, I think a film that's 40 years old is still like the the template for a, a lot of super uh, superhero origin films mm-hmm. you know it, it, it sort of it set the gold standard of how you do a, a comic book film and uh you know still now to this day they're they're copying that same formula and uh but in some ways i don't feel they've ever bettered it really yeah absolutely it's in, in a way, it was almost too successful because I think the notion that every comic book movie feels the need to do an origin story, even if we just saw the origin story uh, two movies back, um, you know, I think everyone wants that kind of uh, world building, you know, high. Uh, I'm speaking about the filmmakers. You know, it's like they they want to be the ones to say, "Here's our version of that." Yeah, and um, and that's why, like with so many Batman movies, you had whether it was a you know, a five minute sequence or a 30 second sequence, we still had to see the Waynes go to the opera and then the pearls <laughs> drop. And it's like, we still had to see that, you know? And it's like, I don't know why, because I mean, we, we know the story. Yeah. That's not like every sequel did it, but a few of them did, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, Superman never fortunately had to revisit the origin until we got to um, uh, Man of Steel. And, and it was so different, you know, that was fine. I didn't feel cheated. I didn't feel like, okay, we're reliving what we saw with the 78 film. So, um, yeah, no, it definitely set the, the template and, um, and, and, and probably too well, you know, it's, it's like, I think that's, that's the thing is people look at that film as a gold standard, like you said, and I just, 
and I wish that they would try to avert their eyes from the the blinding glory that is Superman the movie, and then try some of their own things, you know, and try different different paths because I think there's a lot of uncharted territory. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, one, one last thing about John Williams, really quick, because mm-hmm. I'm a huge John Williams. Man. Um, I've seen John Williams conduct uh, live since 1980. Was the first time I went uh, to see him uh, perform uh, with an orchestra. And um, what I've noticed over the years, not so much lately, but like there was a there was a period of like 10 or 15 years where I would go and see him at the Hollywood Bowl or, or somewhere else, but mostly the Hollywood Bowl. And he would do an entire evening of his of his most classic film scores. And he wouldn't do Superman, the movie. He wouldn't do the Superman theme until the fifth encore, the fourth or fifth encore. And and I would always turn to my date and I would say, that is how badass John Williams is. He can wait till the fifth encore to bust out Superman, the movie. <laughs> like, like has, The body of his work is so incredible that he would yeah. bring out one of his top, top tier scores or themes and you and and the audience goes nuts because you think oh it's all done we've heard all the greatest hits and then you know fifth encore and it's like dun, 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 and the place goes ape shit they go nuts you know <laughs> and it's like that kind of like just joy that he brought to the franchise um cannot be measured i mean no i i agree i too have been lucky enough to see john williams at the hollywood bowl and um I know exactly what you're talking about, and uh, I get the goosebumps every single time. So, yes. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. I'm the only one who hasn't seen John Williams at the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hey, left out I remember, though, you know when we went to that um, Mark Commode cue the music thing that yeah. time? Um, yeah. I remember, though, it was excellent when they did Superman. Remember? They did, they, yes. they, they did that, and they did the, you know, the, 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 the full... Um, you know the full not the full score but the you know all of the different themes you know in that like the sort of finale um one and and, and it and it it blew the house down didn't it oh Everybody it did yeah got into yeah. that it was amazing so yeah yeah it's 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 such a great theme such a great and like donna says you can almost hear the word superman, superman yes yeah oh, totally yeah. can yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Fabulous. All right. Well, unless there's anything else, I suppose we have gone as long as the. Have we gone as we've gone as long as the theatrical cut of? of yes, we have. Yes. Or is, or is it the director's cut? I'm, I'm, no, I'm, no. I'm director's cut is two hours thirty minutes. So we're, we're under it. We're under it. <laughs> so we, 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 we've gone to that time. Um, Charles, is there anything uh, that you want to? You know. Uh, oh, I've got one final question actually. Oh. You're the man that does all of the, um, you know, the the, the wonderful uh, behind-the-scenes documentaries and stuff that we love so much that's on on the Blu-rays and the DVDs and stuff. Do you ever wish you did the one for Superman? Oh, of course. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's a shame now because we've lost so many of the, of the key players. Uh, so to do it now, you'd have to rely on... Uh, archival footage and interviews that other people have done, which is, you know, it's fine, but no, that would be a wonderful alternate past to jump back into and be able to do, um, Superman, the movie for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, I tell, I like to tell very candid, honest stories about the making of films because I believe, uh, it's more of a celebration at the end of it because these people, whatever conflicts or clashes there were, 
they overcame those problems and they delivered a classic, right? And and therefore the victory is sweeter because of that versus everyone's a genius, everything's great, you know, no problems on this film. Um, then like, okay, then why don't I just go back and watch the film? Why do I care about the making of? So um, Superman and, and by extension Superman 2 would have a very interesting, I think, um, honest, you know, journalistic documentary if I were to have been able to do it. I just don't know if it'd be would have been allowed, but um, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I, do, I do think it would have been a really interesting doc to do, for sure. Yeah. Cool. And is there anything exciting that you're currently working on that you want to share or that you're able to share? Um, I'm in this really strange holding period, uh, waiting to start um, the behind-the-scenes content for, I probably shouldn't say, but it's, I'll say this, it's a the, it's the newest installment in an existing franchise i'll just leave it there <laughs> okay. wow um and uh i'm looking forward to it it's just that um for whatever reason i'm waiting for to get started on it but um that'll be later this next year and then um i have something i'm just dying to tell you about but i'm gonna wait <laughs> until i sign the contract and it's and it's official but yeah but very, very likely there's something awesome on the way. And the next time we talk, I'll hopefully be able to tell you about gonna it. I was going to say, we'll have you back to talk about it, right? You'll be happy yeah. to do that. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, and then, Your yeah, then I, yeah, exactly. And then I have my um, next feature that I'm dying to get going. And um, I'm hoping that the, the thing I can't talk about will actually help that second feature going, which is a medieval horror film that I've been trying to make for a while. And I, I, I love the script. I'm really excited about it. Actually, I did a test shoot for it earlier this year just to kind of get the look down just because I had to do something to show people what I had in mind. So, um, it gets, it gets positive, uh, reaction. It's just, uh, we're in this era of like your movie either has to be a hundred million dollars or $500,000 and there's nothing in between, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So that's, that's, that's the, my quandary at the, at the moment. But, um, yeah, so it's a, I'm very vague at the moment. I apologize. I usually like to tell you specifics, uh, but, uh, hopefully next time. All right. Well, you know, as I said, we're delighted that you uh, suggested um, this particular topic and that, you, uh, that you've come and joined us to do it. So thank you very much. Thank you for indulging me. And uh, for anyone who hasn't seen Superman the movie in a while, I hope they go back and revisit it on its 40th birthday. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hopefully it will get some sort of limited release here, I'm hoping. I believe it is. I believe it's, it's, yeah. it's having a, a very brief theatrical run. Yeah, we have that here. We have a, across the country. There's uh, three days. This I think it was like they had the first one already, and then and then they have a uh, two more maybe coming up of uh, nationwide uh, screenings along with some bonus content. And they're showing one of the Max Fleischer shorts as well before it. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, yeah. no, I'll, I'll be there. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> lately I've been um, they've been showing unlimited runs the the new restored you know, 4K versions of many of uh, John Carpenter's films. And uh, I've been absolutely loving, even though I know, you know, these films back to front, to go and see them on the, uh, on the big screen again is, is just, uh, it's just wonderful. So I will be doing that with Superman also, for sure. <laughs> and you should treat yourself to it, Simon, as you've never seen it on the big screen. Yes, that's true. <laughs> So, Keith, where can people find out more about your work? Okay, well, if you go to YouTube and put in British Isles, that's E-Y-L-E-S, um, there's some short films there that I've uh, 
written, produced, and directed. And um, also, I am currently part of an award-winning web series called Rebecca Gold. So if you, um, again, go onto YouTube and put in Rebecca Gold web series, um, all five episodes are up, and I think it runs a total of about 30 minutes um, to see the whole season one um, and I don't know what's happening with that in terms of whether it's going to get a season two or not, but, uh, but, uh, you know, congratulations to Ian David Diaz, the, the director, writer of that and, uh, all of the team that helped us produce that one. So, um, check it out. And as always, you can, uh, find out more about my work at independentrunnings.com. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube and all good podcast providers. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And please leave us a rating and review. It all helps. Uh, so um, thank you again, Charles, for coming on. And um, I, I think if you're up for it, I think I know you're up for it. I think we should do a Last Jedi podcast. It's been it's been a year. I think yeah. it's, I think it's time to revisit it. I'll look back. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's, so let's start. All right. Here we go. <laughs> and then four hours later. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yes. Love it. Yes. All right. And uh, well, this, this, this was fun, though. I mean, thank you for indulging me. And uh, and yes, I'm, oh. I'm I'm always game for Last Jedi chat. But anything else, just let me know if I can do it. I'm happy to help out. Anyway, up, up and away. Up, up and away. See you later.
Thank you.